If you don't know the story of Ruth, chapter one, this family, Naomi, her husband, two kids leave Bethlehem. They go to Moab. In Moab, the husband dies, the two sons die after they get married. Naomi comes home because she hears that there is economic new opportunities in Bethlehem. So she's heading back. Both of her daughters-in-law are coming with her. Then she says, go home. I don't have anything for you. One of them goes back. Ruth says, nope, your God's gonna be my God. Where you live, I will live. And nothing's gonna separate us but death. So that's chapter one. Chapter two, Ruth just goes to work for Naomi. Hey, I'm gonna supply the needs. You're an elderly woman. I am young. I can do this. I'm gonna work. So she begins to work. She goes into a field of a guy named Boaz. Um, It works out really good for her there. And now we get to chapter three. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative? with whose young women you were. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, Observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Hmm. (laughs) So there's a law in this. It's called the leveret marriage. Leveret comes from the Latin, which means brother-in-law. The idea behind it was this. If you had a brother who had a wife and the brother dies before he has any offspring, then you, the brother, would take his wife, have children with that wife, and the offspring would become your brother's offspring. So that's the law of the Leveret marriage. Jesus faces this in Matthew 22. When the Sadducees come to him, the Sadducees were a group of people that they did not believe in anything that you could not touch or feel. They were naturalists or materialists. They didn't believe in eternity. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in much. So they come to Jesus with this leveret marriage question. They say, let's say this woman gets married to a brother. The brother dies. So the next brother takes her up. He doesn't have any offspring. He dies. Third brother takes her up. She doesn't have any offspring with him. And he dies. Fourth brother takes her up. She doesn't have any offspring. The fourth brother dies. The fifth brother's like, no way, man, I ain't doing this. (laughs) Fifth brother takes her up, dies, no offspring. Sixth brother takes her up, dies, no offspring. Seventh brother takes her up, dies, no offspring. Finally, she dies. Now, they're all in heaven. Who's she married to? Right? They're going to trick Jesus. You know what Jesus says there? You're stupid. That's a Matt Heavily translation. 
But he says something even worse. He goes, you are wrong. You do not know scripture and you do not know God. You wanna offend a very religious person? Tell them they're wrong and tell them they don't know the Bible and they don't know God, right? I'd rather be called stupid than what Jesus says to them. So Jesus squares off with that. His answer is brilliant. Read it, Matthew 22. It's also in Genesis 38 with Judah, who has some sons that die and tomorrow and that whole crazy thing that happens there. So that's this law. It's governing this situation right now. Ruth is now the widow with no offspring. So there is a law that's in play here that's driving this story, okay? So Naomi is like, aha, I like that law. And so she says, verse two, Boaz, oh, good old Boaz. Now, why does she like Boaz? He loves the Lord, chapter two, and he works hard. Gals, if you're looking for a guy, number one, he loves the Lord. Number two, he works hard. Then he's tall, dark, and handsome. Okay? Those, are, those should be one and two. You are not going to like being married and supporting a pretty artist. You're not gonna like that. He loves God and he works hard. And then whatever else you need there, right? That's why Naomi's like, this dude is awesome. And so she hatches this plan. Verses three and four. Hey, he's working tonight. And when he's done working, he's gonna eat some food and have a meal and drink some beers and and and. I want you to do this. I want you to go in there and find out where he's sleeping and then just go down and sleep at his feet. (laughs) Now, here's what I do love. I love that Naomi is not a fatalist. She's not telling Ruth, you know what? Just sit here in the house and think holy thoughts. And if you think holy thoughts, God will just bring the right knight in shining armor through the front door and he'll sweep you off your feet. No, right? Naomi's like, listen, girl. Go down, take a bath, put on some perfume, get your best clothes you've got and get down there, right? I love that. Talk about making things clear to Boaz. No games here, right? Like, okay, I can figure this out. (laughs) She's probably going down singing the song like, I'm going to the threshing floor and I'm gonna get... Right? That's what's happening right here. I mean, it is crystal. You can be the most dense dude in the world and be like, okay, I get this. All right. She likes me. Okay. I think sometimes women, you got to make it really clear. Maybe not this way, but really clear. So I like that part. I like that. Here's what worries me with his method. 10 years of famine, 10 years of thin years, just hard. People barely scraping a penny to get the copper, right? For 10 years. Now, things are going good. The money's rolling in. He's working with his men. They're seeing it, the fruit of their labors. They're happy. They have a good meal. They drink a few beers. He lays down. He rolls over and bumps into this woman who whispers to him, tell me what to do. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) I bet he will. I just think, 
That worries me. The dad in me just goes, ah, no, no, no. Right? Who would tell their daughter, here's how you get a husband. It's in the Bible and it works, right? We'll see chapter four, it works. Who's gonna tell their daughter, here's how you do it? I hope nobody. How about Esther? How, about, how does Esther get her husband? And there's a beauty pageant. The final of the beauty pageant is go sleep one night with the king. And if you do that right, he might choose you to be queen. How crazy is that? Would anybody say, that's how you should do it? We have to be really careful. Sometimes the advice we give to people because the Bible tells a lot of things that are descriptive, but not prescriptive. They're describing events that took place, but it's not God saying, stamping it, saying, this is how you should do it. Here's what's happened. Naomi has been Moabitized. I think that's a made up word. She has spent 10 years immersed in a Moabite culture And that Moabite culture for 10 years has now influenced the way she does things. This is a Moabite way of doing things. This is the way a Moabite would do it. You don't see any other place in scripture where a follower of Yahweh does it this way because it's a Moabite way of doing things. It rubs off on you. We already know she gives bad advice. Chapter one, she told Orpah, leave me. Don't come with me and follow Yahweh. Go home and serve your Terrible demon gods. Yeah, that's not good advice, right? So this is just Moabite advice. If advice seems wrong, it probably is. Don't do it. So this is the setup and you're supposed to feel that tension as a reader like, man, this just doesn't seem like the way to do things. Good, sit in that. So then what happens? So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of the grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Doesn't that just seem awkward to you? If you're watching this on a movie right now, how would you be feeling? You'd be like, oh no, oh no. This is gonna be awkward, right? At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Oh man, okay. What guy would be tempted by this situation? Every man with a pulse, that's who, right? Like, oh, what? There's this woman right here. We'll get into more why it's tempting. He said, who are you? (laughs) What in the world is happening? Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings or coat, depending on your translation, over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by Yahweh, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, 
whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as Yahweh lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So verse six, she does it. As awkward as it might seem, as fearful as it could have been, all the what ifs, she does it. I think too many people live life in a waiting room, just waiting for something to happen. All the excuses in the world, too young, too old, not educated enough, too educated, not experienced enough. I don't like the plan. I don't like this plan, but she does it. Don't live your life in a waiting room. I think the old saying is right. God can't steer a parked car. Sometimes you just got to get up and do something. It's a bad plan, but we have a good God. And that's what we're going to see. Bad plan, but good God. Bad plan, good God. Sometimes you just get out of the waiting room and go and do something. Do it. I'll take one guy that's crazy over 10 guys that I can't even heat up that have no plan at all. Because at least then I'm like, oh, right on. That's crazy, but hey, at least you're moving. Maybe we can redirect you. She, as awkward, as hard as all that, because, okay, I'm gonna go. Dream, plan, try, trust, go for it. That's what Ruth does. Bad plan, good God. So verse nine, she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your coat, whatever however you want to say it, over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, what is this? Some commentaries say this is not sexual at all. I say, really? Really? If you go back to verse seven, there it says that she came softly and uncovered his feet. The word feet there is margalot in the Hebrew. Margalot is rarely translated feet. In Daniel, the same word is translated legs. It has a connotation of a private part. They're being really nice in this text to Ruth. All right? So if you don't believe me, Read the rest of the Bible. Hosea 9.1. If you know the book of Hosea, you guys know the book of Hosea? Right? Gomer, prophet. Gomer, a prostitute. Gomer's like, what? Did you say a Protestant? No, prostitute. Oh, I don't want to do that. Right? She's unfaithful to him. That's the story. So it's very, has that nature to it. So in Hosea 9.1, it says this, that on the threshing floors, all the prostitutes come up there and visit the threshing floors. So the threshing floors were the brothels of the Old Testament. Hosea 9.1. And then just read Ezekiel 16, verses 9 through 14, 
where God has this analogy of him and Israel, that Israel was this cast off baby left to die on the side of the road. And Yahweh comes and rescues the baby and washes and nourishes it and does everything and supplies it. And then it says, and then you grew and it's very sexual. And hey, you grew as a woman should. And it talks about all that. And then it says, and then when you were ready for love, I covered you with my garment and we made vows. We got married. This is totally sexual. That's what it is, right? So she's being... A Moabite. There'll be no uncovering of feet in my home. I'll put it that way, right? <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> in spite of all that, we get to Boaz. Listen to what he says. May you be blessed by Yahweh, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. I love Boaz. Could Boaz have condemned her right here? Oh, 100%, right? Ruth is being a Moabite. That's what she's being. She's being a Moabite. The crew she comes from, right? Her great, 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 great grandfather, a guy named Lot. Lot was a lot of trouble, was he not? So he, the Moabites, come about because Lot gets drunk, has relations with his daughter, and the son that's produced becomes the Moabites, right? That's her crew. That's her background. That's what she's used to. So now here she is. She's asking her drunk, rich boss to marry her because she's a Moabite. And we know chapter one, she makes this great profession of faith Right? And Yahweh, your God is going to be my God. Yahweh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to follow the Moabite way anymore. I'm going to follow Yahweh. That's what I want to do. So we know she's a believer, but she's in process, is she not? We have to have great grace for new believers. We can't expect them to all of a sudden be these perfect people. We have to know, hey, there's still a little bit of Moabite in them, or maybe a lot of Moabite in them, and be okay with it. He doesn't condemn her. He knows, ah, no problem, no problem. We should have great grace for new believers because they're in process. And we gotta walk with them and help them understand. And, and what does Boaz do? He's just kind, is he not? He goes, you, everybody knows, not just me, everybody knows that you are a worthy woman. He could have condemned her. He could have, you know, what are you doing here? This is crazy. You're insane. He doesn't. He goes, you're a great woman. You're a kind woman. This is called extracting the precious from the vile. And this should be a Christian discipline. Every single one of us should become professionals at extracting the precious from the vile. That even if you are in an awkward situation, like, oh my goodness, still you figure out a way to be really kind and really loving to people. Every situation, every person, every issue, extracting the precious from the vial. He doesn't condemn her. In fact, he compliments her. It's amazing. And if you do that, guess what happens to you? You become happy. People that are always focused on the vial, they're not very happy people. People that are always focused on the precious, 
man, they become happy people. They see life as good and awesome, not vile and terrible. Boaz, awesome guy. Could Boaz have taken advantage of this situation? She's a Moabite, 100%, 100%. He could have condemned her on one side or he could have taken advantage of her on the other side. What if Boaz would have succumbed to that temptation midnight on a threshing floor when no one was watching? What would have happened? What if Boaz acted like a Moabite instead of acting like a follower of Yahweh? We wouldn't read his story right now. We wouldn't have the book of Ruth. That's what would have happened. God would have found another way. Boaz was not looking for a good time. He was looking for a good legacy. What are you looking for? If you look for a good time, rarely will you get a good legacy. But if you're saying, I want my life to be a legacy because Boaz becomes the great-great-grandfather of David who becomes the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus. And Boaz is in the lineage and family of Jesus. Why? Because he said, I want legacy. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I don't think, well, if I live for legacy, I'm not gonna have a good time. I think if you live for legacy, you'll have the best time. Read Hebrews chapter one, verse nine. It says this, that he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And because of that, God has anointed him with the oil of gladness above his fellows. He got both. He lived for legacy. You get both thrown in. I hope we are a people that live for legacy. But there's an obstacle, is there not? This is not, oh, and they live happily ever after. Boaz says, I'm a redeemer, but there was a hierarchy, a hierarchy of, of people that stood in line to redeem. And if you're the brother, you're the closest. And then like a cousin and a second cousin on down the line. He's like, there's somebody that's in pole position. There's somebody that can do this first. But does that make Boaz say, oh, I'm out? No way. He's like, I'm gonna figure this out tomorrow. Young ladies, if a man will not work through obstacles with you when you're dating and seeing each other, he's not a man that will stick around with you. If every single issue is this thing where he's like, I'm out, man, forget it, I can't do this. It's a deal breaker. Let the deal break. Men that want you, men that are there for you, men that will stick around for you, will run through doors for you. They'll break them down. And that's what Boaz is gonna do in chapter four. I'm gonna break down doors for this woman. That's the kind of man you want. Boaz, break down doors. I'll do everything I can legally. I won't murder him. I may think about it, but I'm gonna do everything. So how's it go? So verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. That dusk time, shapes but not faces. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came
came to the threshing floor and he said, bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her saying, these six measures of barley he gave me. For he said to me, you must not go empty handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. I love verse 14. She laid his feet until morning, but arose before he could recognize. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Boaz cared about Ruth's reputation. She's in a barn with a bunch of men that have been working hard, places that were known for not the best situations, right? Men had eaten a lot. They were doing well. They're happy. They're merry. If they saw her, what would they think? She uncovered his feet. (laughs) That's what they would think, okay? That's what you would think too. And he wants to protect her from that. Men, when you're dating a woman, do you care about her reputation? I hope you do. I hope you defend her reputation. People will talk. If your car is parked out in front of her house all night, what will people think? You uncovered her feet. That's what they will think, okay? Care, defend. Be like a Boaz, make sure, make sure. The Bible tells us to avoid the appearance of evil or to be those men that say the reputation of God's daughter comes before my instant gratification. And so I'll treat her that way, just like Boaz. And then verse 16, here's a good one for all of us. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did it fare my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. Don't do anything at night that you can't go home and tell your mom. (laughs) Wisdom right there, man. If you're thinking at night, boy, I don't know if I could tell my mom this. Don't do it. Moms, you can high five me after service. No problem. (laughs) That's just wisdom to me. You better be able to go home and tell mom everything you did. Wisdom, right? Then Boaz takes her and says, here, six measures of barley. That's a ton. It's about all a person could carry. The maximum a person could carry, about 60 pounds. Here you go, 60 pounds. Boaz is generous. Girls run from a stingy man. Run from a stingy man. And I'm not talking about a guy that has bling and has tons of cash, as hundreds are falling out of his pockets. I'm not talking about, it's an attitude. Run from stingy men. They will make life miserable. Boaz is phenomenally generous. 
We have a saying at Edgewater and we say it all the time. Boys are takers, men are givers. And there are a ton of boys with beards. So age doesn't mean anything. It's attitude. God has made me a steward of these things and I'll be generous as much as possible. I'm carrying that attitude with me. Just as Jesus gave everything for me, I in turn want to give everything for his body, his bride. It's an attitude. Run from stingy man. Boaz, super generous. And then she replies, verse 18, wait, my daughter, until you learn, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Translation, he is hot to trot, right? Okay, you uncovered my feet last night. That was a woohoo, let's get this done. Boaz is willing to take on a lot of baggage, is he not, with Ruth? Is Ruth a catch? She's a Moabite. Do you know what I mean? 23, 10 generations, your kids won't go to church. Boaz would know that, right? She's got some immaturity to her. He just realized that the night before, like, oh my goodness, wow. You showed up like that, huh? And she has a very bitter mother-in-law. And Boaz says, doesn't matter. I will take all that on because she's my bride. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Because you and I come with a lot of baggage, tons of it. And Jesus says, I'll take it all. I'll take it all. No problem. All right, couple notes and we're done. Number one, Boaz, as Mark brilliantly taught chapter three last week, becomes a pillar in the temple. Literally a pillar in the temple of Yahweh. Why? He's a man of integrity, a man of generosity. He's hardworking. He goes for legacy. He pours his life into others. Chapter two, right? He cares for his workers, he cares for Ruth, doesn't even know her. Pours his life into others. Helps out a foreigner and becomes a pillar in the temple of Yahweh. I hope we are legacy people. That we're saying, what is the legacy I'm leaving behind in my neighborhood, in my family, in the city that I love, in the city I live in? I hope we're legacy people. Boaz is legacy person. Number two, why do we have chapter three? Verse one, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Naomi is looking out for Ruth. Is that why we have chapter three? No, because chapter one was Ruth is looking out for Naomi. What do you call that? When two people are both looking out for each other, trying to bless each other, what do you call that? I call it friendship. Friendship are two people that are saying, hey, I want the best for you. No, hey, I want the best for you. It's like the game of tag. You can never play it too long. Tag your it, no tag your it, no tag your it. That's what these two are doing because they're friends. Friendship is, I want to look out for you. And the other person says, no, I want to look out for you. 
It's brilliant. That's real good friendships. Then lastly, here's the best part. When you read this, think about how many ways this could go wrong. Wait, don't think about that actually. (laughs) There's a proverb. It's Proverbs 11 verse three. And it says the integrity of a man's heart will guide him. Why does this story work out when it could go wrong so many ways? Because you know, chapter one, Ruth is trusting God. Your God's gonna be my God. Bad plan, good God. Tangled mess could be, oh, potentially, oh, are you kidding me? And we'll see next week it turns out more brilliantly than they could have ever imagined. Not because they had a great plan. They had a terrible plan. But they had a good God, a good God that they trusted in. They had a heart that said, we want God's plan. And God takes the twisted tangledness of their own plan and says, I'll work this for something brilliant. Watch me. Watch me work it for something brilliant. That's what he does. There's another proverb, it's Proverbs 4.23. I'll leave us with that. It says, guard your heart for out of it come the wellsprings of life. If you and I have hearts that you're saying, God, I want your will. Jesus, I want to be a follower of you. Jesus, I want to find a husband. I want to find a wife that is also someone that loves you and worships you and is committed to your kingdom. And that is my heart and it's integrity. You're not looking for instant gratification. You're not looking for tall, dark, and handsome, blonde, whatever else. You're looking, God, I want, I want your way. I want your will. And that's what my heart is set on. Man, go for it. Go for it. Don't be in the waiting room. Ruth gets in front of Boaz, right? I want you, no, right? In a very, very explicit way, I want you. I don't recommend that way. But it's the integrity of her heart that God sees and takes her tangled, lack of wisdom, Moabitish plan and says, I can even use that. And I'm gonna use it to bring about my son the greatest act in history. It's brilliant. Guard your hearts for out of it flow the issues of life. Guard your heart. Well, Matt, my heart's all bad. Psalm 139. Lord, Lord, change my heart then. Proverbs, or Psalm 139 22 and 23, search me, know my heart, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me on the path everlasting. It is a constant prayer of mine. God, search my heart, search it. I want my heart to be one of integrity where I want your will and your way higher than anything else because I've got tangled, mixed up, stupid plans all the time. I'm Moabitess all the time, so help me. Help my heart to always be a heart that's after you. How many times did the, did the prophets say, 
How many times does 1 Kings and 2 Kings say, this man sought me like David with his whole heart. It's an issue of your heart. God can untangle plans when we have hearts of integrity. So Jesus today, I'm further amazed at your power to take a mixed up young lady trying to do her best, professing faith in you, wanting your way and not her way. And you saw her and you protected her and you brought her into your family literally. And so I pray for us tonight here on Wednesday night. We can be Moabites. We can have messed up plans. But I pray for one thing for each of us tonight. I pray that we'd have hearts of integrity. Hearts that yearn after you. Hearts that want your will and not our way. So search our hearts. Look deep into us. See if there be any wicked way beginning to take root in any of the hearts here tonight. And then may we be quick to confess those things and see you cleanse us from all that unrighteousness and to lead us on the way everlasting. That's the way we want. It's why we're here tonight. So Spirit, search us. And we'll obey by confessing and cleanse us. And we ask that tomorrow you would guide our steps. You take our plans and use them for your glory and for your kingdom. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.